This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE Intellinews. Subscribe at bne.eu. So welcome to BNE Italian News Hot Take. Um, I'm joined today by Kivan Stamba, who's our Istanbul bureau chief, who's actually in Ankara today. Also by Carmen uh, uh, Velaki, who is also in Istanbul. And Suna Erdem, who's our columnist on Turkey, based in London. Um, <clears throat> so at the weekend, obviously, there was a uh, coup attempt which failed. Uh, Kivanch, you were there on the streets in Istanbul. Um, tell me, what exactly happened and why did this fail? Hi, Ben. It was around 10 p.m. on Friday night. I was outside at a bar. All of a sudden, people started to panic and start to talk about Kudeta. It was like a joke. It was unexpected. They were reporting some military activity in and around Istanbul and Ankara. It was unbelievable. So I went down to the streets and I was trying to understand what was going on. And I was hearing all these jets flying overhead, very low. Because it, it we started were, in Ankara, didn't it? But it, it spread very quickly to Istanbul. Actually, it, and apparently it started simultaneously, both in Ankara and Istanbul. So it and were, like there, were there many um, troops on the street? Because you, you went up to the Prime Minister's office yeah. um, close to midnight. And then I didn't see any troops on the streets. It was very bizarre. So I, I, when I checked the TV channels, I was just seeing 10 or 15 troops just holding the bridges, which are very strategic points, you know. If you are staging a coup, I assume you have to have hundreds of or what, troops on the streets. I didn't see any of them. And I just saw just two F-16s flying overhead. So and they were buzz- buzzing the buildings. I mean, there were a lot of reports yeah. of bombing in the city, but actually it turned out that that was largely Son- the, the yeah. F-16s you know, with sonic booms over the residential. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So I saw people just rushing to the markets, buying food and withdrawing their money from ATMs. You know, there was just chaos on the streets. So everybody went home and we started to watch TVs and we realized that that was a coup. But it sounds like it was very small scale. I mean, you're saying that the, there was a few concentrated points where there were troops on Taksim Square in Istanbul, on the bridges over the Bosphorus, but there wasn't a sort of large-scale military movements. And we, we saw this dramatic footage of tanks driving around uh, in Istanbul and, and Ankara, but you, you didn't see much of that? It was just in a few places? I didn't see any of them. You know, in Taksim Square, there were just 15 or 20 troops. You cannot hold Taksim Square with just 20 troops. So this sounds like the whole thing was, was half-assed in so much as, you know, if you're going to do a coup, the first thing you need to do is grab the civil leaders. But, of course, Erdogan was on holiday at the time and got away very quickly on a plane. Uh, there was reports of a helicopter attack on his hotel, but that mm-hmm. happened after he'd already gone. Mm-hmm. And you also need to get the bulk of the army on your side, but it sounds like it was a very small fraction and that they use regular troops and conscripts. You know, there's reports again that some people, some of the troops didn't know what they were doing. They thought they were on an exercise. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So, that's what correct. the hell was going on? Who who are these people? And and uh, why why if you're going to put your neck on the line as you obviously have done here in the army, um, why why would you do it so badly? Have you got any idea about you know what, who who was behind this and and what exactly they were hoping to achieve? Uh, the government says Gülen, Fethullah Gülen, 
Uh, he's an exile in the United States. He's master, he must mind this coup d'etat. There's a small group of soldiers, I mean, uh, high-ranking and lower-ranking military officers, but we are not exactly sure who they are and how many. It's for sure not the whole, the entire military apparatus took part in it. So uh-huh. it was an attempt to fail, doomed to fail, and it failed. Failed very badly. If I bring in uh, Carmen here, you wrote Carmen a piece about Gullion, um, and uh, Erdogan was very fast. In fact, the whole government was extremely fast uh, to to blame Gullion, who is uh, Erdogan's arch enemy. Carmen, you, you took an interview with a senior member of the AK Party on the Saturday, um, and she she was pointing the finger. Is that right? Is do you, do you think he's behind? Because he, I think he denied it in um, in an interview on on Saturday or Sunday. Well, he's a uh a former cleric and preacher um, that is exiled in Pennsylvania at the moment um, and that has a huge following um, because he has preached for, I don't know, since the 1960s, this doctrine of, you know, education and humanism. Um, So he has a a really large following among progressive Muslim people who, you know, are very ambitious, uh, who occupy very high um, positions in business and, and politics and, um, you know, the, the state bureaucracy. Um, and the way he has managed to, I guess, cultivate this movement, especially since the 80s, is through a network of schools. So, um, basically, he's created, I mean, he's founded as many as 1,600 schools, according to some sources. Not necessarily himself personally, but people associated with him and alumni of, of, alumni of the schools that he founded initially. Gilles, well, the key question Gilles, here seems to be, because um, Erdogan's come out and said that um, the Gulen has basically infiltrated the government, the army, the judiciary, because his followers um, are... Sort of working themselves into into places. It's a it's a real conspiracy theory. And this morning uh, on Monday the eighteenth, uh, we've seen this massive purge start, where some six thousand people have been arrested or or removed from their posts, and most of them are clearly nothing to do with the coup. But it, it, to what extent is 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 Erdogan being paranoid about Gulen trying to infiltrate and subvert his government? To what extent is it just an excuse to allow him to to make this power grab? Carmen, what do you think? I, I wouldn't say Gulen is an innocent scapegoat um, because for, you know, ever since the 1990s, uh, there have been uh, audio recordings that surfaced of some of his sermons in which he um, told his followers to do exactly that, to inf- infiltrate the state, occupy, you know, the positions of power and overthrow the government. So uh, now that's an old recording, but... Uh, his movement has been around for a long time, and it's believed that as as many as 10% of the Turkish population is in one way or another associated with him. So it's not that far-fetched to believe that, you know, they could have perpetrated this coup. Suna, Suna, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, you, you've been, you're an expert on, on Turkish politics. I mean, to what extent do you think... Because, I mean, there, there's a theory that Erdogan has been driving for this executive presidency. He's been taking Turkey in an Islamic direction, whereas the military has always been the guarantor of Ataturk's legacy of a secular Turkey. And one of the theories being put forward is that um, 
the military acted to head off Erdogan before he'd purged the army, before he forces a constitutional change in order to um, create this executive president, basically giving himself complete power. And that this was a last-ditch attempt, um, and it could be motivated by that, or it could be also motivated by, you know, the Gulen fraction, um, seeing that this was a, you know, last chance to act. What, what do you think? It's, um, I mean, it's just impossible to know exactly how it happened, and the details are coming out still. However, I know someone who's in the military who was actually called up that night, and um, he was told um, to act, otherwise he'd be a traitor. And he said the people who were telling this were people who supported Fethullah Gulen. Now, he didn't act, and nor did he to wrap people around him, so they're, at the moment, safe. So, it, clearly, they were in there somewhere. On the other hand, Gulen does become a usual suspect whenever anything happens. And, um, you know, there's 400,000 members of the military. A lot of them were there before Erdogan was there. They're, quite a lot of them are Ataturkist. They don't like what he's doing. 50% of the Turkish population, even the people who supported him before, really dislike what he was doing. So it's also possible to believe that, well, you know, Gulen might have pressed the button or his supporters might have pressed the button. They probably wouldn't, um, they wouldn't struggle to get some people supporting them. So I think even if it was Gulen, it's a much bigger issue in Turkey about the number of people who are really quite distressed at what's happening. Because the other side of the coin is that... Um the Erdogan called very quickly for the people to take the streets. And it was remarkable. He, he had this now famous FaceTime interview on, on TV. You know, the irony of someone who's been crushing social, social media having to turn to it to, to save his bacon. However, within 15 minutes, I mean, the, the people did come flooding out. And remarkably, this was the first time that people took to the streets um, in the face of a military coup. That didn't happen in previous coups. Uh, and they turned the tide. It seems that I, I had one quote um, that you, you had a people protecting a government they despise because they'd rather see democracy continue than return to a military coup. So that the Erdogan does enjoy massive popular support. I mean, that's one of the things that's come out of this, isn't it? He does. And um, it's, I mean, it's extraordinary that uh, a leader can say to his people, go out and face the tanks and die for me. And they all go and say, yes, we'll do that. So he obviously has a lot of support. Um, I don't know how many people who really didn't support him were out on the street because his own supporters, which are about 50%, are enough. I find it scary to how many people were out there prepared to be quite violent in the support of um, Erdogan. Yeah, there were some reports of um, the crowds turning on the troops and some of the soldiers were reportedly beheaded. I mean, certainly several of them were, were killed by the troops, uh, by, by the crowds. Um, it, it got quite nasty. But all said and done, the, the, the number of casualties were uh, about 200, I think. I mean, it's, it's for a coup, this is, this is relatively bloodless. Um, yes, but I suppose more bloody than the coups when they told the president to just leave the offices, and he did, you know. Let's, uh, yeah, Carmen, you, you took an interview with, with Zanep uh, Kandor, a senior member of the Justice Development Party, AK, in Istanbul on the Saturday. And she was very explicit. She was saying that as a result of this, um, Erdogan is going to become more autocratic, although she specifically said he wouldn't become a dictator, and that the political fallout will be a change in the constitution, and that will happen probably very quickly. And the background of this, of course, is Erdogan's been trying to change the constitution to transform Turkey into a republic with the president has real power 
and has been resisted by the opposition. But it looks like it's going to be a done deal now, isn't it? I mean, what exactly was Kandor saying? Well, um, basically, she was justifying some of the actions that he's taken in recent years by the fact that he is fighting numerous terrorist groups um, and that, you know, for a head of state that's that's threatened by a coup, it's normal for, for him to become more autocratic. She also said that, indeed, the existing constitution favors the military because it was passed during the military regime, the last military regime, and therefore it needs to go. But she wasn't um, explicit about whether the system will be presidential. Obviously, everybody thinks that is what is going to happen, but um, she didn't confirm that. Uh, but coming back to an earlier point about violence, I just wanted to say, I mean, Television footage of, of how the soldiers were treated, the you know the soldiers that staged the coup, was really frightening. I mean, uh, they were held half naked on the floor of barracks, of the barracks that they occupied, and and a lot of them were beaten, and it, it's absolutely gruesome. I just think you know it's it's really scary. What the, the aftermath is very scary. And if you watch Turkish television nowadays, there is an entire um, ad campaign for Erdogan. The reaction, I mean, if you're looking across Europe and the States, I mean, the reaction uh, this morning has been one of of concern, is a polite way of putting it. You know, the, 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 the uh, Thomas uh, Oppermann from... Um, Germany, the SDP, was saying that thousands, the purge started this, this, uh, the last 24 hours and some 6,000 people have been arrested. But these are, you know, judges, prosecutors, academics. Um, basically the whole of the military has been decapitated, you know, at regional level, the units. And this is far beyond the coup. Um, and Obama was pointing out that, you know, these people have nothing to do with the failed coup. And that is just an excuse uh, to purge the entire system and get rid of of Erdogan's opposition, and that this is a, a big step away from democracy, and that um, Turkey continues to sort of uh, head towards a authoritarian regime, because all checks and balances on him have been reduced, and he's now in the process of removing them. Absolutely, I think he's. Um, I mean, he did say it was a gift from God, didn't he? He can do so many more things now than he could do, because as I was saying, the military he was purging it slowly, but now he's got rid of the judges, he can purge it more quickly. They've already completely reorganised the police force, and yet they find that they've got another 9,000 people to throw out today. Um, he doesn't seem to have many concerns about um, EU membership, for instance, but I think we'll see just how concerned he is um, when they come to decide whether or not to reinstate the death penalty, because if they do something like that, that will be just a sign that you know, we really don't care about Europe. Um, he's already prepared to antagonize the states. But on the other hand, when you see what he just did with Russia and Israel, where he was waging some kind of war with them and decided that actually that lost him too much trade and he apologized, you, then he's got to have some kind of limit. And the limit will probably be when Turkey and his leadership of it and the economy starts to get damaged. Other than that, I think he's got no, he's got no constraints. Because the economic, I mean, this, this is one of the remarkable things about the Turkish story is that the economy has continued to perform very well. I mean, it, it turned in 4% growth last year, despite the Syrian conflict, despite the fight with Russia. And although those things have, have hurt it, and it, it seems that, that given that Erdogan was pushing for a bigger role in um, the Syrian conflict, to specifically out Assad, and was rebuffed 
via Europe and specifically the States, that he seems to have given up completely on the EU um, and is concentrating on his own program. I mean, Johannes Hahn, the EU commissioner, dealing with Turkey's membership bid, said also just in the last 24 hours, that he believes all these lists of people are being purged um, this morning were prepared well in advance and that he was, uh, Erdogan was looking for an excuse, you know, he has the opportunity now to accelerate it. But in that sense, you could say that Turkey's just left Europe. It's not going to pay any attention to what Europe has to say and it's looking for partners in the region, um, Israel for, for energy and uh, even is going to make up with, with Syria. Would you say that's true? Yes, I think I think so. I mean, at the moment, he has no reason to be friendly with Europe. Um, and also, he's also got them under over a barrel with the uh, uh, Syrian refugees anyway. And incidentally, talking about the economy, people are saying that actually the Syrian refugees are helping boost the economy because they're spending, because there's so many of them. So he even here, he seems to win something unexpected. I mean, in the long term, he, yeah, he seems to have given up a lot on the on the West. And I don't mean this in the sense that, you know, that it was written before Turkey is going to become Islamist and join the East. I think he's just not bothering with them because he doesn't rape them. And he feels that he can get away with a lot of things. Now, in the longer term, something might happen that, that means he has to rein himself in or that's hard to imagine, but another leader might come in and it could very easily turn Turkey back completely. Turkey can change quite quickly. Carmen, let's finish with you. Um, you just came in via the airport. What's the mood on the streets today? I mean, what's it like walking around in Istanbul? Is it calm? People are worried or just going about business as usual? Well, um, the city's definitely emptier than I remember, I remember leaving it. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't speak Turkish, but over, I kept overhearing uh, the word parallel on the street. And, of course, that's a reference the Gulen movement so it's pretty clear people are still fixated on what happened and talking about it I'd like to thank Kivan Suna and Carmen for joining us um, you can download this uh, podcast from our website and of course we are covering this story uh, on intellinews.com and you can also follow us at BNE Intellinews on Twitter where we're keeping live coverage of what's going on thanks for joining us all the best mm-hmm.